Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Really excited for today's episode with Nicole Britton Riker with Learfield IMG College uh, Talent Acquisition. And, you know, extremely excited to, to talk about two things. One, in, in the, you know, the, the process of talent acquisition and, and the skill sets that it entails and um, some of the experiences that you've had that, that have allowed you to succeed in that world. And then also, um, you know, the, the DNI space, diversity and inclusion, and, and kind of how it applies to our business in the sports landscape. So, um, Nicole, welcome to the podcast. Hey, I'm super excited to, to be on. Awesome. So, let, you know, fill in, fill in the audience on where you started your sports career. I mean, you're a volleyball student athlete uh, at the, the good old University of Kentucky. I mean, wh- is that kind of where you first were like, oh, this is where, how I, and why I want to work in sports? Uh, yeah, you essentially nailed it. And I don't know if it was um, my volleyball career at UK, but just literally being an athlete my entire life, starting out, um, you know, five years old playing t-ball and kind of smashing home runs um, over the fence at a young age and just being gifted in different capacities. And I played everything you can imagine growing up, was fortunate that my parents just encouraged me to do and play what I wanted and kind of learned kind of like career in the sports world, what you do like, what you don't like more so before you really figure out where you should be in what you do like and what comes natural and is um, a most passionate fit. So uh, after I was done playing, which I did go overseas to Spain for a professional stint shortly, I knew when I graduated that I definitely wanted to stay associated with sports in my career in some capacity. No, and that's a great perspective too of actually going professional, right? And, And volleyball is one of those sports where, um, there's not as many opportunities as someone playing, you know, football at a, at a power five school would have. Right. And, and I think the ability to take advantage of that opportunity was so key for you. Um, what did you, like, what was the mentality, uh, that you had as you were going overseas to play, knowing that it probably wasn't going to last that long, right. Mm-hmm. You, you weren't going to go play for 20 years necessarily. Um, you know, what, what, what was the thought process there? Yes. Unlike um, a lot of male athletes, we don't have super robust professional leagues as a woman. So a long trajectory of pro is not ever really ingrained in my mind. Um, I did go over to Spain prior to graduating. And that was simply because I didn't want to take off, you know, a year of volleyball to finish my degree um, when I knew school would always be there. So went over to play. And and when I did come back, it was primarily because I had a torn labrum, um, had my shoulder surgery and just decided to hang it up and finish my degree and pursue my career in sports. But that time allowed me um, to focus on school and kind of pad my resume with internships and actual jobs in which I didn't have time to obtain when I was Plain um, full-time D1 student athlete is essentially your full-time job when you um, are a collegiate athlete. So I kind of leveraged that time, right? And I would consider myself fortunate as most of us 
don't get that year um, to get further schooling and also get directly relatable work experience that you can then go out and sell yourself as you start knocking on doors after graduation to get in. Um, and that was my intent. Like a lot of us in this business got our bachelor's degrees and went on to get our master's. And I asked the question, I'm, you know, not the oldest, but I'm definitely not the youngest in this industry anymore. And I was asked, um, or I asked the question, is it more important to have work experience to get in or should I get my, uh, my master's? And I kept getting responses that the experience was the most important thing. Um, and that's the route I took. Well, no, you bring up a great point on the master's degrees because it is a, you know, for some, it costs a lot for some, you know, maybe you get lucky, you get a G, you know, a GA and it covers your tuition and, and that sort of thing. But um, it's also time in which let's say you go to a two year program, you know, that's two years of work experience you wouldn't have on your resume. Right. So there's kind of that cost benefit analysis there. What's, you know, for, for the advice now that you've, um, now that you went the route of the work experience, what's your advice to those who are trying to get started or, or maybe um, are graduating from undergrad right now and, and are trying to make that decision? Yeah, looking back, right? Hindsight 2020. <laughs> um, what would I say to that? I know from my own personal experience, this is what I would say. There are benefits to both. Um, most people, when they go to further ed their education, um, specifically in a niche in our business, whether it's MBA, MSA, not only are you getting the direct education in our industry, you're walking away with a robust network of peers who are entering the sports industry at the same time. And you have those who became, who came before you, who came through your same programs. And there are many of universities out there with long reputations of their different mafias of sports business professionals um, who further their education there. And that's one of the things they deliver, right? So I personally have embraced the networking side, um, but I'm kind of an extrovert and I enjoy that. Um, and oddly enough, it's, it's kind of a hobby of mine, which is super nerdy to say. Um, but in our space, uh, that's an extreme benefit to have that walking out of the door. Um, do I regret not going directly into the into school to further my education? Absolutely not. Um, do I think it hindered me? No, I don't. Uh, do I think I would be further ahead with a master's degree right now? Um, no, I don't. Not necessarily. Do I still desire that next level of education? Yes, I do. And I think that is more of a personal desire for me. Um, do I think it would, you know, further spring me ahead in my career? I really don't know if that's the case or not. No, that's, that's a great point. And, and you mentioned the networking as a hobby. It's, it's, uh, it's got to help you in what you do now, right? So talent acquisition, knowing people might be a little bit helpful. Um, <laughs> you know, what are some of the skill sets that, are most apparent in your role. And, you know, I feel, I feel like talent acquisition has um, become somewhat new over the last, you know, decade, we'll call it uh, mm -hmm. as it was probably housed a little bit more in 
quote unquote HR, right? Um, and as it's as it's truly a you know a skill of seeking the best talent, right, for a certain role, um, similar to to selling. What are some of those skills that that you know you were able to gain experience in that have helped you so far? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have a little bit of a unique path as I as a recruiter um, in talent acquisition for Learfield IMG College. My path was not in HR. I didn't set out to be in HR. And, you know, as you said, prior to two years ago, I don't, I mean, probably four to five now, talent acquisition wasn't even a term that anyone was using. So my path is more so traditional through the sales route, tickets, premium seating, um, and then into sponsorships. And spending the last six years of my career with Learfield IMG and the collegiate sponsorship space, um, I went from the property side at Rep Arena selling my alma mater, um, Kentucky basketball sponsorships, to our national sales team managing national accounts. And I essentially, while I was in the more robust, strategic, high-level relationships on a national partnership management role, I was missing the external sales piece that I kind of ingrained in my career. And we instituted our team of recruiting at Learfield IMG at the time. And I essentially transitioned into the recruiter role where I literally consider myself um, just selling the company as opposed to just selling a sponsorship or a ticket. So the correlation to business and the process um, for any salespeople out there is extremely similar where we are actively seeking good talent and, and what we do, it's a very niche quality where the good people have a job already. They're not really seeking it per se. Um, so we're, we're seeking out passive candidates who we are actively having to recruit into our company and tell them why they should leave this organization or that organization um, to come work for us. So selling the benefits, selling the value of the organization, the culture, um, you know, not even the little H, literal HR side of it. But, um, you know, when you make a decision to change careers or companies, these are people's livelihoods we're talking about. Um, we all have jobs and have been with companies that we loved and other places where maybe we didn't love for certain reasons. So um, it's a partnership through and through. Yeah, no, the partnerships, that's a great point in that um, you're constantly building those relationships, whether it's on the sales side with the client, right, with the prospects, with your university, with your partners, um, you know, internally, right, within the athletic department, uh, there's a lot of different ways in which you're building relationships, but as you're having some of these conversations, um, I'm sure you notice kind of, and, and we'll switch past to the, the DNI space of like, everyone's got a different experience. Everyone has different perspectives, different priorities, different um, skills. Uh, so when you talk about diversity and, 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 and it isn't just, um, y- y- you know, 
what's on the paper, right? It's diversity of thought. It's diversity of, of, you know, experience that you can bring from whatever organization you're at. Uh, what are some of those things that, that you really like to kind of dig in on uh, from a diversity perspective and understand what someone can bring uh, to an organization or to a team as, you know, teams, uh, especially in your world of, of the Learfield IMG College setup of having all these different properties at the universities, there might be a team of two, there might be a team of five, might be a team of seven, right? And they all have to work a little bit differently depending on who the people are. Yeah, <laughs> um, that is a great question. And I feel we could go a thousand different angles. So I think I will <clears throat> primarily approach just what we know of DNI and, um, you know, from a hiring perspective, whether you're in a recruiting role like myself, or you are a vice president or a director over a department or even a manager where you are making the hiring decisions for your team, for your organization. Um, there are things that we all need to know related to having representation um, in multiple different areas and skill sets and backgrounds and race and ethnicity that all correlate to being the best operating um, kind of function that there is. And when I say that, right, like you're hiring to a job, the focus should be finding the best people. And also with that should be the knowledge that someone can, who's had different experiences than you, who has a different perspective than you, um, who has maybe a background that is a bit non-traditional on paper and hasn't sold, um, you know, tickets here and sponsorships for 12 years, but they've killed it in another industry or capacity still in the sales realm, they can bring a different angle to how they approach their job. Um, they can bring different techniques. And honestly, the sales piece of it um, is what can translate. You can't always teach a person the other things um, that they are, they're bringing with them based off their other experiences. And that can make them a good hire outside of our cookie cutter frame that we sometimes um, kind of narrow in on, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And you, know, you talked about uh, the, the kind of the different experiences from other industries, right? Or not having uh, that quote unquote cookie cutter resume, right? Of, of going from place to place or being somewhere for a long time. Because um, there's a lot of people that are trying to break into the industry that have been in a different one for 10 or 12, 15 years, whether yep. that's technology or insurance or whatever it might be. What are some of the things that you see from, from those types of um, individuals who are coming from outside of the sports industry versus the ones who have been in it for a while? Um, what am I seeing from them as far as backgrounds or how their skill sets differ? How they are how their skill sets differ, are their approaches different mm -hmm, mm -hmm. based on, you know, being in corporate in the corporate world or not, maybe small business, right? Yep. Yep. No, I, exactly. Um, a lot of ways. <clears throat> I, I think a lot of us um, in our 
certain capacities or certain teams or leagues or even just, um, you know, collegiate space, first pro space, I think we can um, limit ourselves into thinking you can only be successful if you have this or that. And mm-hmm. people that, you know, are given a chance whose backgrounds might be non-traditional, um, they typically bring an, a different view set because they haven't been in the space and expected to do things only a certain way. Thus, it allows new idea generation, innovation, um, thought processes that, you know, don't shift in the wind just because, you know, the same leader is always saying something or the same person in the room um, is always coming up with the, with the ideas. It typically allows for different avenues to get better because um, at the end of the day, that's what we're all trying to do. We're trying to make more money. We're trying to sell more tickets. We're trying to buy, bring in more partners, which, as I said, we're trying to make more money. All of those things are tied to that. So um, typically, it's it's a point of view. It's an experience. It's a process. And you just never know because they have had different experiences, different skill sets, and opportunities that you haven't. Yeah. And when you look at the the vast amount of properties that you guys have across the country, right? Geography is such an important piece uh, of, you know, whether it's relationships or knowledge about certain industries, right? Um, Some in the Midwest, different than the ones on the West Coast or the Southeast, right? There's, there's some different um, knowledge uh, bases in terms of, you know, the types of companies, how they're evolving, what they need, um, what are some of the, the trends that you're seeing in terms of just people learning from each other, right, across the company? And I know mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a big initiative of, like, if you're in, you know, if you're at Purdue versus Utah versus Florida, like, how, how are they all learning from each other from different industries and, and different geographical locations of how partners buy um, differently in, in those places? Yeah, I mean... It is crazy just to think about that because I reflect on our portfolio where we are literally in 49 of 50 states and represent brands that we all know in collegiate athletics um, to make up 200 plus partners. Which it, and, which it was 120 about a year ago, right? And I mean, yeah. and then it just exploded. Yes, our merger, which was a year old New Year's Eve, um, this year uh, with IMG College, we obviously have kind of doubled in size with bringing two major competitors together into one big happy family. And um, it's been fun. But at, to your point, um, you know, hiring somebody in Orono, Maine for the Black Bears is a little bit different than hiring somebody in Gainesville, Florida for the Gators. Um, but at the end of the day, our guys and gals are hitting the streets in the same ways, picking up the phones, having same conversations as far as, um, you know, truly trying to deliver the collegiate sports fans to a brand's business and to consumer-based companies that 
understand and get the value of partnering with collegiate athletics as, um, you know, our brand and IP is powerful and the sports fans affinity outlast those of pro sports at times. Um, we always kind of use the example where I'm probably going to get laughed at, but I'm a Bengals fan who day. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I cheer for the Bengals. I'm a fan. Right. But I will always bleed blue and be a Kentucky wildcat. Like that can never, ever be taken away from me. It is ingrained. Um, it's in a forever association. And no matter where I move in the United States of America, um, I will have that affinity and fandom um, and the power to, to be kind of advertised to because of it. And the thing is, while the brands differ, the sizes differ, um, you know, Alabama looking a little bit different in the sales conversation than um, South Dakota State, no offense, Jackrabbits, but the process, the conversations from a value delivering standpoint, um, the unique ways to appeal to certain brands, no matter the market, that's the information, that's the information sharing that um, is beneficial. And when you have a big family of salespeople and brands, um, you know, we try not to re recreate the wheel and we try to get wins across the board by networking within per se, just as you shared us kind of sharing that information. Yeah. And, and one kind of one question as we start to wrap up the episode and, and that, you know, when you look across all the different properties and people will move from place to place, right. To get the, the, the different experiences, the diverse uh, experience of a different region, um, different leadership, whatever it might be, uh, selling a different sport, right? If you go to Wisconsin, you're selling hockey versus, mm -hmm. you know, uh, another school you might not be. And so when, when you look at that, what are some of the things that you like to kind of uh, career coach per se, um, some people in terms of how to, um, how to, how to gauge your career, whether it's by two years, by the, whether it's by three or four, like, how, how do you guys typically kind of um, coach people as well as, you know, you're recruiting? Yeah, that's a great question. And I think in our industry, the old adage um, kind of remains true. Like once you get your foot in the door, you're in. And I think that goes the same for us at Learfield IMG, where because we are sponsorship focused, we typically do not hire a lot of folks who are entry level, um, you know, looking a minimum of three years, essentially, to, to sell a sponsorship, um, even if it is, you know, a group of five or FBS school um, in a Midwest rural market. Um, what we do is hard. It's fun. It's rewarding, but it's hard. And typically, you need some experience to do that. So when we find good people who may not have that experience on paper and talking to that diverse hiring and just getting people in the door who are able but might just need some um, coaching. I encourage young sellers, especially artists, young professionals, especially to be willing to be open-minded to take the opportunity no matter where it is. Typically speaking, um, for us, it's temporary, especially if you come in and do a great job. 
Um, especially on the sales side, it's very noticed and rewarded because numbers don't lie. And it can be a stepping stone to that brand you want to sell in, to that market that you'd prefer to live in, um, to that title that you would like to have. And because we have such a robust company, not just multimedia rights and at the property level, but many other businesses and headquarter offices, um, there is opportunity to grow and move within. So uh, the focus to put your head down, um, do your job and speak up when you want to do different things um, in certain areas. I think the opportunity is there if you, um, well, I know the opportunity is there with us if you do your job and do it well. Well, you're, you're, and you're a great example of that, right? You went from one, one role to the next, to the next, all within the same company. And, and did you yeah. move as well? Right. Yep. Started in Lexington, Kentucky, um, go cats, and then made the move to Dallas where our headquarters are in Plano, Texas, um, for the last four years and three roles in that time. So you're absolutely correct, Jake. Awesome. Well, as, as you, we kind of uh, leave our listeners with one last piece of advice uh, going into kind of the what are we, second quarter of 2020, what's, what's kind of the one thing that's on your mind? Oh, man. Well, considering we are um, homebound and working remote in our forever famous pandemic right now, there are a lot of things on my mind, but you know, one that I'm embracing as the social butterfly networker who was always on the go, super involved, um, and just rushed is embracing change of pace and making yourself better in areas that you didn't have time or make time to before, um, and being okay with slowing down is my my focus and what I hope to bring out of our uh, current apocalyptic pandemic. <laughs> awesome. Slowing down but still being just as productive. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Well, if that, it sounds kind of like an oxymoron. I don't know if that's possible. But we'll see. <laughs> we'll find out, right? Push, yeah. Pushing ourselves outside the comfort zone. So, yeah. Nicole, appreciate the time. Uh, appreciate the insights and advice and um, hopefully we'll have you on again soon. Jake, appreciate you. You're awesome. And this was fun. Thanks.